0: Hey everybody! This is Adam Chartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, December sixteenth, two thousand and twenty-two. I know what you're thinking. Where have you been the last couple of weeks? Well, I'm sorry. Okay, I have a life. No, the truth is, I don't have a life. But I have been a little bit burnt out, and i have slowing things down for a little while, taking a bit of a, a sabbatical, quasi-sabbatical, because through at least through the holidays, and then we'll get back on track. Anyway, that's if you hear weird sounds. It's just. My girlfriend's phone. But this is, and I mean this uh, when I say it this time, not usually. Usually I fake it, but this time I mean it when I say uh, this is a very great show. It may not have any famous people on it necessarily, but it doesn't mean it's any less interesting. I've got two segments I'm extremely happy about, very proud of. The first with two women who are part of the team that put together a new documentary called Deconstructing Karen. I'm sure the title at least uh, makes something of an impression. We'll get to that in a moment. And then I have on another documentary filmmaker named Billy Shebar, who has made a short film, which I caught up with, on a topic that I have a lot of interest in, which is the Hollywood blacklist. His short is called High Noon on the Waterfront. And Billy was a terrific guest. We had a lot of fun. And he will be up in the second segment. Let me just tell you a little bit about this new documentary. It's called... Deconstructing Karen. I was also fascinated by the subject matter and I thought that this would make a really captivating segment. And I hope you think so too. The director is Patty Ivan Specht. In this documentary feature film, white women attend the wildest dinner party of their lives. The main course is a radically honest conversation on racism. While sipping white wine and passing the bread basket, these women experience an eye-opening journey, discovering how they uphold white supremacy every single day. For some guests, there are epiphanies, for others, resistance, but for all the guests, something has changed, and they can never unknow the painful truths revealed over this dinner. I'm very happy to bring on one of the women that runs the group. Her name is Regina Jackson. Unfortunately, the other, Syra Rao, couldn't join us. But I am fortunate that the director of Deconstructing Karen, Patty Ivenspecht, is also joining us for this conversation about the film. It's available on VOD. Uh, so you can see it right now, or right after you hear this conversation. The conversation is also on our YouTube channel at uh, youtubecom FilmWaxRadio. So I hope you enjoy it, and then we'll be back after that with Billy Shebar, who is the uh, director of uh, this film called High Noon on the Warfront. But first, here is Regina Jackson and Patty Ivan Specht with deconstructing Karen right here on FilmWax Radio. hands of everyone at this table
1: who is racist. Oh, my God.
2: For me, race has never really been a thing. I've always thought of myself as
1: being, like, kind of woke.
2: I'm blinded to color. Like, it doesn't faze me at all. When we
1: bleed, we bleed red. Because he was a white male, he was a victim of reverse racism. I understand you have issues with a skin
2: color, but I don't believe that's our future. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would trade places with a black person in this society? Raise your hand.
0: Well, it's very nice to meet you both. We may... As we may be joined by uh Sarah Rao, who is uh one of the executive producers, and of course, a subject in the documentary. And we have uh both Patty uh, Ivan Specht here, who is the director producer of of uh Deconstructing Karen, as well as uh Regina Jackson, who is um uh also a su- – it's kind of odd to call you a subject of the film because I feel like within the film there is uh, a group. Uh, people and you're really not a, they're the subjects in a way you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or the topic is the subject which is deconstructing Karen anyway it's great exactly. to meet you both
1: thank you thanks, thanks for you. having us on your show
0: yeah. oh my, my pleasure as soon as I found out that white liberal men weren't the most dangerous group I just thought oh this is for me
2: <laughs> <laughs> well we have a story uh, <laughs> behind that too <laughs>
0: I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, this just in so many ways, you know, just intrigued me. And then, you know, just I just thought this is this is exactly the kind of story, the documentary that I think would just be perfect because it just it's first of all so um pertinent. I mean, it's just the subject matter of I don't I think everything else going on in our culture is sort of takes a backseat to this particular subject. And this film really, uh, really is raw. Yeah. That's a good way I, to you know, it. it is because it's really, it's no holds barred. It's really completely upfront. There's very little, you know, a lot of the, um, I want to set it up so people know what it's about first before I get into my feelings about it and, you know, ask you. So I'll, I'll start kind of setting it up a little, you know, I will have shown, I will have shown the trailer.
2: Okay,
0: right. ahead of time but i'm going to still say you have gathered you have an organization called racing race to dinner correct regina and syra who's not here yet mm-hmm. um where you invite a group of uh, uh white let's say privileged women i don't know that they're all liberal in this case
2: they're not in the dinner
0: no no um and and the idea is to sort of uh confront this this- uh to confront this subject which is of course racism being <clears throat> being um uh uh i guess uh, an institutional thing that every that all white people are participated in um and that's you know very difficult thing for most people to to accept or understand. Um so we've we, we this is just a dinner and we're it's a, just a conversation. Uh you pose questions, you two pose questions to the the guests. Um and we are a fly on the wall. Yes. Thanks to Patty.
2: Yes.
0: Um I mean is, is that a halfway decent explanation?
2: I think that's pretty good. Cyra uh, and I started this in uh, January of 2019, after CyRA ran for Congress against right. a longtime white Democratic congressional woman. And her whole platform was anti-racism. So whenever Cyra spoke, white women would line up around the corner to talk to her to say, basically, "Not me." I'm not racist. You know, not me, maybe somebody else, but not me. So um, I worked on Cyrus' campaign and I had a friend in the neighborhood, a white woman, who says to me, I'm done with Cyrus. She hates white people, but if you can get her to go lunch with me, I'd like to have lunch with her. So I go to Cyrus and I said, Cyrus, there's this woman friend of mine. And Cyrus goes, I'm not doing that anymore. She said, Regina, I've been paying for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and cocktails. She said, I'm paying a babysitter, and I'm done. She said, but if your white woman friend wants to hold a dinner, invite some of her white women friends, and you do it with me, we can do that. That's how Race to Dinner was born.
0: Okay. Well, you know, I mean, one would think that just the fact that this group of women or the groups of women that also come to the dinners – that mm-hmm. are not filmed, <laughs> uh, that it, it really speaks really well of them that they are volunteering to go through this uh, experience and this process, uh, but we still find out that it's a much more difficult than they maybe thought it was. Is that what? Well, you
2: know what? One of the things that I know is that we've never had honest conversations in this country, not ever about race and racism. And our number one value as a business is radical honesty. So if you're gonna sit down with us, we're gonna pretty much pry the truth out of you. Yeah, <laughs> or so, you're gonna
1: show people go ahead, what, it is, what the truth is, right? Because I think the truth for white people is that no one's ever talked to us honestly about race. And I think that is really the service that Regina and Syra offer. And I think a lot of white women, I'll just talk about women, but I think a lot of white women look around our society and go, um, this is this actually isn't working. Like what we're doing and this denial that everything is equal and the same, like I don't buy it. So when Syra and Regina come along and they speak truth to everyone's real life experience, if you're willing to hear it, and, and it might actually click for you and make more sense than kind of what you're being asked to pretend. And I think there are a lot of white women who really are grateful for this work because it's more honest than kind of the, I'll say this is societal lies a little bit that they've been told their whole life, which is why mm-hmm. people say things like, race doesn't really matter. And I don't see the color of people's skin and I'm colorblind. And uh, they say that honestly, which... because they've been taught that. That's the right, right
0: thing to say, but when it's, it's also problem, you, I'm, say. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, go ahead. But it's it's also couldn't um, ex- couldn't be a better example of at the same time by saying that you're erasing the person of color's experience, saying that's not true.
2: That's what because, we talk about. Right, we say. You know, you're saying I'm colorblind, I don't see color. That erases not only who we are, but what we've experienced. And what we try to show white women is, you know, it ain't all roses over here. (laughs) And use your white privilege, your white power to stop being indifferent. Stop being indifferent to other people's pain and suffering. That's the ask
0: you just said a moment ago regina um there's a moment in the documentary where you raised the question uh how many of you would trade places with a with a black person i mean i think that probably crystallized for most of the women there um yeah. exactly right
2: because well, yeah, you're the asking them woman, to be
0: in your shoes yeah.
2: the one woman said well i don't see i don't see it but no i don't want to trade <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: Exactly. <laughs> and I just I love a who,
2: pretty good life.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Uh, uh another question would be would you trade places with somebody different than yourself also?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I personally you know, I've never experienced anything else but being black, <laughs> and I have a pretty good culture. You know, we're able to laugh and find joy and have a good time and eat well and dance. So probably not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how I, I, I how um how challenging does this reinforce? What does this? Let me ask it in, in a different way. Well, how does this making this film and also just being dedicated to uh, this particular type of pursuit or cause. I mean, does it inspire you? Does it, uh, um, is it deflating? Uh, I mean, maybe it's everything, I don't know. But I'm just wondering how this is for you because- You know, uh,
2: I am just one of those people where personally- I don't give a flying F what other people think. I just don't. You know, my husband will say to me, Regina, people think you're crazy. And I go, I don't care. And he goes, that's why they think you're crazy. And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) But I have to tell you, and this just happened within the last, I have um, my two older grandchildren are biracial and they don't look like black people. They look like white people. And if someone were to see them, and I said to my husband, I said, you know, I think our granddaughter thinks she's white. And he said, well, if you had a choice, would you be white or white? I mean, that's, and Megan Parkle has talked about the same thing. You know, sure. people never saw her as a black woman. So her experience has been different than mine.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you talk to her about that?
2: Yes, I do. When she, when she talks to me, you know, I go over there every week and, just so that remind them they're black. I'm your grandma. I'm your dad's mom. You're black.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but um but that's gotta yeah. Well that's another documentary, isn't it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that biracial people have a really tough time because they don't know where they fit.
0: Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to divulge this, but I I, I have a, a personal connection to this very issue myself, so okay. I understand. Yeah, and it's a constant conversation, and it doesn't go away. No. And 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 this film, deconstructing Karen is is really not about, um, in some way, trying to assign blame more than it is to just have an honest and frank conversation about yes. race in this country yes. which is just like couldn't be more important so so tell me patty uh like did you feel like you were the did you have struggle at all feeling as a white woman like this was not your like did you struggle with the idea of your being the one to bring this to the screen or you just maybe this is the, it, I, i'm always offering both answers and i should just shut up <laughs> just stupid
1: i I understand your question (laughs) i'm crazy too um and i think this what i am so grateful for this work that siren regina have done and that i was privileged enough to document is that i think it's important for white women to talk to the white women and this movie is really for everybody by the way but It in some ways is a plea for white women to rethink everything they think they've been told about race and how to see themselves um, in these conversations and to really start to identify what kind of toxic things they've been taught about their own whiteness and how they operate in a power structure. And so for me, I think actually there's a lot of movies about race I probably wouldn't make because it wouldn't be appropriate coming from me. But I think this uh, white chick making a movie for white chicks about their racism totally makes sense. And the kind of neat blessing is that I also got to bring a movie that features Siren Regina's story that Mm. empowers Mm. and validates women of color around the world and that is an honor.
0: Well that's a great answer by the way.
2: <laughs> Isn't that a great answer. We we love, you know, this team that's formed. Uh, I couldn't be uh happier to be part of this.
0: Let me I, I that's wonderful to hear and uh let me ask you then uh because even though this movie it's called again it's this documentary is called Deconstructing Karen but it's already on demand. It's available right on VOD at the moment. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. but it's yeah.
0: played in a number of festivals, correct? And then, yes. uh, 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 I was wondering what those Q and A's are like.
1: Q and A's are a good time. I will tell you, we were in six festivals this year. And then on Thanksgiving day, we launched on iTunes and on Vimeo oh, okay. and Thanksgiving. And this whole holiday season is really relevant to us because we feel like, you know, uh, the movie is a conduit for how to have hard conversations at the dinner table. And most of us are doing that at Thanksgiving, at Hanukkah, at Christmas, Kwanzaa, whatever you're doing, you're probably meeting people over the holidays. And um, it's, a, it's a guide in some ways on how some of those conversations can go down. So the festivals, the Q&As were a blast. And people were flocking to Siren Regina, like flocking yes. just how oh, For
0: sure. Right. It's incredible. I hope they weren't coming to you guys saying that they were colorblind or they only bled. They, everybody bleeds red, <clears throat> but I can't imagine either. Yeah,
2: they, they know, know better. better.
0: They know yeah, better. Yeah, we've
2: we've got a book too. It's called White Women: Everything You Already Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better. So it's a guide. Okay. We identify all you the have nonsense. Be there.
1: <laughs> this is it. Come
0: on, hold it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what you do. It's okay.
1: A, it's a New York Times bestseller.
0: I want to get yes, it. Cut. it is. Yeah. Oh,
1: we'll and, send you one. Please. And yeah, Time I would love that. excerpted it, which they only do for like two books a year. That's how important the work is.
0: Really? Well, it is important. I, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not, I wasn't, you know, in any way uh, not being 100% straight on when I said that this is really about the most important topic there is in this country. I mean, how more... This is just—we're just recording this conversation uh, two days, three days after the uh, Georgia uh, senatorial uh, runoff election.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna this tell poor guy you, had to run
0: four or five times just to be senator.
2: Black people were not having a Herschel Walker. It wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. if, he is uh, all the negative stereotypes that white people believe about black people. All of them
0: uh it was very hard to watch it was very hard to watch because it's easy to blame herschel but it's really goes even further much further than yeah. that it's yeah. too uh yeah um wow yeah um again <clears throat> it's currently on 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 vod and i was going to say this is of course a natural for educational uh distribution yeah. right for institutional yep. distribution this is going to be at schools i assume at libraries at prisons at i you know wherever
2: it is our hope and we're going to be on dr phil on december 15th
0: dr phil
2: Doctor wow well that
0: bodes well for him (laughs) that speaks very well of him i'm glad to hear that this is great well you are are you ready for the
2: i want to say because i think this is important to say you know there's all these black and brown people out there who could have done the show with us but who does it A white male, because number one, he has the privilege and number two, he's not going to lose his career because he has a black and a brown woman on there talking about racism. I think Mm. we have to be cognizant of that.
0: Well, I just I just hope that the experience is that they're not going to be coaching, coaching you and telling you, Uh, you know. We BS. are
2: uncoachable. As my Pretty husband much. says, Regina, you are uncoachable. Uncoachable. <laughs>
0: crazy and crazy uncoachable. <laughs> and encourageable. <clears throat> Sorry. I mean, I, this ongoing um, thing that just sort of creeps up on my throat or my, I don't know, my, you know, this, what's going Dinuses, on out there. The, yeah. But my health is fine. It's just that I, I just all of a sudden I have trouble with my throat. Um, and and are you, uh, Patty? You're going to be on that, or is that you just let the? I mean, these. You can also be on this uh, Dr. Phil show. Yeah,
1: we filmed this okay. past Wednesday, so oh, it's okay. already been filmed. No oh, I got gotcha. you. It's happening. I so, gotta watch. Um, I'm supporting yes. from the audience. Regina and Syra, run and point on the whole thing.
0: Okay, well, please, yeah. uh, we're gonna we're gonna wind it down because, uh, you know, I'm on the east coast.
2: <laughs> so, <can> I, <laughs> this I is a delight. Dinner. <laughs>
0: please do me the kindness of passing on my my best to Syra. Tell her I'm sorry she didn't make it on here, um, but you guys were terrific, and um, I'm really really. Uh, grateful for the opportunity to have met you both and for more more importantly to seen the documentary uh and Adam, i'm gonna let everybody
2: if you will put your information in the chat i will have a book sent to you from penguin randabouts
0: oh, okay i would totally buy a copy but i won't say no <laughs> thank you <laughs> you guys are wonderful and uh, again everybody should needs to see this film and uh you know whether in time for the holidays or Sometime and and pick up a copy of uh of this of this New York Times, uh, bestseller. You see
2: that white lady tear right there on the front of yeah, the book.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I understand. I do. Um, well, thank
2: yeah. you, Adam.
0: Maybe maybe in a few more generations, people will maybe we'll make some progress. I think I I, I try to remain optimistic about it.
2: Well, you know, black people have no other choice but to remain optimistic, good, right? <laughs> that's a good that's
0: a good point. Yeah. yeah.
1: But instead of hoping, uh, you know, everyone can kind of do the work. So that's there's that the too. point.
0: Right. Right. And, and and just let go of defensiveness. It really doesn't get, get you anywhere, you know.
1: Right.
0: right. Okay. And well, our wonderful thank you for having po- us. Oh, anytime. Let let's do it again. I hope there's an opportunity to do it again. I really do. You know. Okay.
2: That would be yeah. wonderful, yeah. and thank you. Yeah. You know, it's um, I think it's lifetime work uh, mm-hmm. for white people, just like learning to affirm yourself as a black person in this society is lifetime work.
0: Well, I wish you both uh, much luck with the with the documentary, and um, thank you again. Thank you for making time to come on here. I really appreciate it. <laughs> And bless you, you, by the way.
1: Thank you. you. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, Brooke. Thanks, everyone. Yes. Okay. Have a good All right, evening. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. bye.
2: <laughs>
0: For those who know the show real well, you might know that, probably know that. One of the subjects that i, I like to come back to is the Hollywood Blacklist and this this ongoing, I guess, what would you call it, a moral conver- conversation about people who named names versus those who didn't during that period of time of the Red Scare and the Hollywood Blacklist. i had a few guests on over the years who, where we've had a conversation about it. It's certainly done my share of reading and thinking on the subject. So this was a great opportunity when I this, this short film called High Noon on the Waterfront came into my purview. I immediately jumped at it and I invited Billy Shebar, who is the director of the, of the short, to come on the show and I'm glad he did. It looks at two different people from the Hollywood blacklist years. One, of course, Elia Kazan, the director of On the Waterfront, who did Name Names, and Carl Foreman, who wrote the screenplay for high noon and who was also brought up on the in front of the committee and who who chose not to name names and suffer the consequences of that choice. Illy Kazan of course benefited from naming names as his career continued to uh explode. The film takes an inventive remembrance of the impact of the Hollywood blacklist on two American classics rendered as a visually mesmerizing dialogue between Carl Foreman with a voice by Edward Norton, and Ilya Kazan voiced by John Turturro. I invited them onto this uh, segment as well, but I have not heard back from either of them. (laughs) So, even though John Turturro has been on the show before. All right, let's talk to Billy. This short film, by the way, is available as a bonus feature. If you go to HBO Max, if you have that, and you uh, select On the Waterfront, you can, I, I think maybe even High Noon, check HBO Max. Anyway... Here it is. This is my conversation with uh, Billy Shibar regarding his short film, High Noon on the Waterfront, here on Film Wax Radio. Can you hear me okay?
3: I sure can. How are good. you? I'm good. How are you? Good, nice to meet you. Good to meet you too. I've been where, enjoying you. Where are here. you? i mm-hmm. uh, oh. I'm in, in uh Manhattan on okay. on 110th Street between uh Central Park and Morningside Park.
0: I would call that Cathedral Parkway, but if you want that to call is, it exactly. Street, <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Spent some time that living up there um some years ago, um I lived on um um Riverside, and by Teeman, you know, a little further. Oh
3: yeah, a little yeah. further
0: up in Morningside Heights. But yeah, a great area. I love that area. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of like this stretch where it looks exactly as it did. You know, it's sort of a timeless area. I mean, they. I I've guess I've done some development right on 110th, maybe, maybe uh, more recently.
3: Yeah, we're in these these uh towers called towers on the park that were built in the late 80s they were like a um public private partnership for first time home home buyers right. yep. and uh they kind of they were built pretty cheaply they kind of look like like they remind me of kishlovsky films from the 80s <laughs> of like okay. the soviet block you know architecture kind
0: of yes <laughs> yes but, yeah. uh, oh that's the first kishlovsky uh reference in a while <laughs>
3: <laughs> i love i love this film as well yeah i was a real De- decalogue fan i love Decalogue. yeah
0: yeah, yeah. i have a, um, i was a friend at the criterion collection gave me a copy of that which I, I had already seen it but i was like they were releasing it a number of years ago i did a like a live event when uh on film restoration oh. and preservation and they came Um, and represented from so and then I got to raid the closet there now I'm just showing off It's not really (laughs) you know their closet the criterion closet no
3: no oh
0: so they usually invite filmmakers but i have been doing the show a long time and supporting so many already filmmakers that like you that they they invited me to to go into their their storage closet where they have you know it's just it, it will if you can do it you consider yourself lucky because most people probably their brains just blow up They're you know their heads because it's just it's like i don't know
2: how
0: <laughs> it's like every great film and you know is in there and then um you know you don't want to come off too greedy either so but these are There's these a, are
3: like uh videotape uh copies or yeah. are they what are yeah, they? they're all
0: dvds and blu-rays that kind yeah of, yeah yeah yeah
3: wow cool um yeah I love, yeah i so. love criterion channel just anytime you want to just find some cool film that you missed out on when it first came out or whatever, you know, it's just like, it's there. It's great.
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, thanks for agreeing to, uh, to come on and do this. Um, Yeah. You were saying you were, I think I cut you off. I think you were saying you were catching up with some of the episodes.
3: Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I, I I saw, I always hear,
0: I always hear that for some reason.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I mean, the first first face that popped up was Molly Haskell, who I, I knew from a couple of years where we shared a writing space with a few other writers um, in the old Apple Bank building on 72nd Street. It was like, you know, like a sort of detective movie from the 50s, that office that had, you know, the, with the sort of frosted glass windows and stuff like that. But anyway, yeah, right. I remember her from that. So I, I, I clicked on that and it was great seeing her and that she's working on a memoir and, you know, she's just... She's great so
0: that was like... I, uh, yeah i never you know i had no idea what to expect i mean you know i just read a lot of stories about her over the years and you know her accomplishments and all whatnot but i had no idea what she would be like in person i hadn't done any deep dive into like any kind of video <clears throat> but i'm glad because i came with no prejudice really you know and i found her to be delightful and game and in a very just fully present which is of course all i want from somebody yeah and you know uh not stuffy and you know just very excited about films still
3: yeah right that was nice yeah that was it i loved that i mean i I loved hearing her the enthusiasm for the films that she saw at new york film festival which i saw saw a couple of those like i saw the kelly reichardt one and and i love the way she described it you know just like in one sentence she she kind of got the what made it such a great film, which is the way it just crept up on you. You know, you think you're just going along with this woman's <laughs> life, and then yes. suddenly at the end, it just adds up to a lot more than you thought. So, yeah. well,
0: I've seen all of uh, of her films, uh, speaking of Kelly Reichert, but not the latest yet. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that.
3: It's good, it's really good. She, on yeah, the other but...
0: hand, not a great guest. <laughs> sorry, oh, really? I, oh, I don't no hold for it, against, I would never hold it against her that particular time. She just, it just, and I mean, I think. I don't know. It just didn't go as smoothly. And I, I never even got around to asking her about her film because we had such a short amount of time. But it was, you know, which is okay. and um, Which was not like, what well, it was the one, I think, after Wendy and Lucy. Uh, but uh, anyway, anyhow.
3: And then the other ones that I watched of yours, uh, when well, you sent me a couple about the blacklist, but I thought were great. It was really cool seeing uh, Victor Navasky. Um I had, I had, I had heard about his book, of course, but I had never read it. And that made okay. me go and go and get it. And oh, uh, good. Just sort of oh, dip good. in dip in and out of it and read what he had to say about Kazan. So, it's so well-written. It's such a great, great yeah. book. Um, well, you
0: know, it was an interesting confluence because <clears throat> one connection I didn't share with you goes right into more into um, the, the, um, the uh, HUAC, which was me, you know, we're we'll just getting into it since we're talking about things, but I went to this summer camp. It was kind of a, before I got there, it was a red diaper camp. And then by the time I was there, I'm a little obviously young for that. But when I got there, it had diluted a bit, but the original, the mirror pole boys, you know, the Rosenberg's kids went there before me and, you know, uh, M- Michael, who's the older brother, I believe. Yeah. His daughter Ivy is a documentary filmmaker and I got to know her and through her, I re- I kind of connected with Michael and then with Robert with both. And I interviewed them both. It's a sort of another project it has nothing to do with this show because it's not about film. You know, this was something else, <clears throat> but I did get to talk to both of those guys and I met, you know, uh, Michael in person. You know, he he's just a really nice guy, both of them. Very nice guys. But that connection um, really, you know, led me to, M- Michael knows Victor Navasky. Oh, yeah. And he hooked me up with Victor. And um, and then, you know, this is like a long drawn out, I apologize story, <laughs> okay. but I through another author wanted me to drop, she knew Victor coincidentally and asked me to drop off, a, a, he, they were some staying nearby in the Berkshires They have a home, the Navaskis, and they asked me, she asked me if I would drop off this manuscript. So I took it to Victor, you know, and then he agreed to do the podcast at that time. But, you know, it was difficult because I was so I'd read the book. I've done so much research, you know, in the reading and I have so and, you know, he's just he's getting up there. And um, so, you know, if I I wish I had gotten to him a little sooner in life because, you know, he, and the fact that he probably talked exhaustedly about these things so many times that, you know, here's the ten thousandth person asking him about um, his thoughts on on the body. So I, I kind of felt a little like, oh, I would love to have gotten deeper into the weeds with him, but yeah. I still he was such a sweet, wonderful person, and um, and obviously wrote this seminal book. You know,
3: I mean, he was great, and he and he, it okay. is great that you're getting to some of these people, kind of like you know late in their lives like lee grant you know and yeah because they they're such repositories of information experiences the things that they went through i I really love the lee grant one too because it was like i i thought it was fascinating that she so late in life decided to kind of forgive uh kazan Kazan especially i thought that was really powerful when she uh she got to that moment you know because because me too yeah yeah
0: yeah well you know it's like how are you going to carry that around and you know yeah. um yeah she was really just i felt so uh, i don't know uh, moved and lucky and all these things to be sitting she was so again so present and so warm yeah and um i could have just talking to her for yeah. you know um uh all night long because she you know i just had her and she was she could see that I was, you know, really earnest and 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 really truly interested, and uh, going to places that you know. That's the thing. Nice thing about like, I maybe I don't have the audience sizes these other shorter, you know, and I don't know, but I do get more access, or I try to get go deeper. You know, that's the that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this. So, yeah, yeah. and and I got this email, um, you know, about your short film. I, it's called High Noon on the Waterfront, and uh, you know it just seemed. Oh my God, this is perfect. Yeah, perfect for for what I'm I'm trying to do. And I'd be so. Into, um, all those kind of interviews you referred to kind of were the product of a friend of mine who wrote a tweet some years ago, and he just said in his tweet, uh, uh, Billy, that um, he he drew a he was able to draw a distinction. In his mind about Ilya Kazan, and uh and I had a strong reaction. I just said, you know, um he's a traitor. I felt he was a traitor, and you know, and the, my you know my friend said, well, you know, the those people that name names were in a corner as well, and they were uh, victims in their own way, and I, so I kind of felt I needed to do some, you know, more more uh thinking about it <laughs> and and certainly research and reading and I, I hadn't even up to that point honestly even read Ilya's autobiography you know
3: Which is-
0: so that was the first order of business um and um i have you know my feelings about it now but i really should shut up and let me hear your story and your feelings about it and what your intentions were by yeah. making the short film about these two two different Hollywood um, uh, filmmakers and yeah. their choices during the Hollywood blacklist days.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that what started it all was just, first of all, just in general, being very interested in the idea of how do you tell a story with Hollywood film clips? Because we'd seen a bunch of, you know, really interesting documentaries that did that. Like, I don't know if you know, Los Angeles Plays Itself. Um, yes, or, sure, sure. Yeah, and, and you know, so, we, so this was kind of, actually we were my partner david and i were um finishing up a crime documentary a, ser- a limited series that we were doing that was super stressful and we we're like what can we do that like we'll take our minds off this and be fun and we sort of just dreamed up mostly david cuz he's the real film buff between the two of us um mm-hmm. dreamed dreamed up this like series of films about important moments in american history that we could tell uh-huh. through hollywood film clips and the the one that we decided would be kind of a proof of concept for the series was this one because it, the more we looked at it, it was so interesting that here are these two iconic films, High Noon and On the Waterfront, and actually both of them are very personal. Not a lot of people don't know that they're personal allegories. They sort of developed that way that became these sort of allegories about what their maker was going through when they were making the film. Um, you know that that uh, and both of them had, you know had been had been subpoenaed by the House on American Activities Committee and and um they made kind of kind of opposite decisions right i mean like Foreman refused to name names i mean he he did go in and meet with them um but uh Kazan um you know famously named names but the idea that we could try to sort of tell their stories and the decisions that they made in a way through those films really appealed to us so that's kind of how how that you know got started cool. Um, And as far as like, what do I think of Kazan? I mean, I think as a general rule, as a filmmaker, I don't like to sort of like uh, moralize. I mean, I don't think it's interesting to sort of judge your characters, either fiction or nonfiction. I always think that it's always interesting to see people under under the kind of pressure that these guys were under, which was insane, right? It was like either yes. e- either you rat on your fellow, you know, filmmakers, or you lose your livelihood, you know. And we none of us know how we would behave in that kind exactly of exactly like, true.
0: Yes, behavior. I am. I I in fact I would side on my that I probably I would have buckled. I just because I mean since I have no idea, it's just too easy to say. I would have held my ground and just suffered the consequences. I probably would have buckled. I mean, who am I to, you know, anyway. well,
3: I actually, I actually have a distant relative in, um, a burrows. Oh, wow. Just found out from Nevasky's book, name names. So I guess it's in wow. my DNA too. Or so, you know, maybe that would have, buckled too, but, <laughs> um, but, but, um, no. but no, I, um, I, so the, the thought was, this is a time, and the more we got into it, it's a time not, you know, as you've pointed out on, on those various um, interviews that you did, you know, it, there's a lot of resonance with today's climate. There's all this political anxiety. There's this, a lot of, you know, extreme kind of backlash, you know, mentality where it's very easy to kind of like, you know, cancel people, you know, and and, um, and I just thought it was, I always think it's really just interesting to look at this person um and it's it's unfortunate it's not good what he did because it's like uh he of all people kazan was in a position to actually maybe uh influence i mean he was golden at that moment at that moment he was like at the height of his career right he had done you know um just about all my, yeah. yeah both theater he had like he was like the king of broadway and the king Absolutely. and and hollywood yeah I mean, well yeah
0: And he could have certainly gone back to Broadway, had he named names. I mean, he might've been able to, that's what Lee Grant did. That's what a lot of actors, uh, blacklisted people, they went into New York and they, you know, but anyhow, you were saying.
3: Yeah. So, so anyway, I, I, just a long way of saying, I just find it interesting to see, I treat, you know, I treat them as characters, as you would in a fiction film and just say, yeah, you know, it's never interesting to make like somebody pure good or pure evil. It's all about like, here are two interesting characters being forced into this incredibly, almost impossible dilemma. And how right. are they going to hold up? You know, what are they going right. to do? And and, you know, Foreman kind of took the high road, although his story, the more I read Nevasky's book, it's like it's also complicated. You know, I mean, he he kind of went back a second time and tried to give them a little more you know i mean right
0: well you try to figure out how you're going to squeak out of this thing in one piece right i mean no and you know a a couple of things um one is i i actually believe ilia went twice as at least twice the first time he did not name names and then he did a backroom deal i believe where he was not in front of a public committee but he was met with the some of the folks like, you know, secretly they gave him, they brokered it some sort of deal where if he named and he agreed to name names that were already named, this was another rationalization for many. But the point is, is that having read, Ilya, because remember the newspaper, the time, the big, yeah. you know, full page ad he took out after yeah. it. And then in the bio in his autobiography called a life, anybody watching, if, well, I strongly recommend you read it. Oh. Uh, but it's like, he doubles down. So, it oh. Just digs in his heels, like it. I just, whereas, I like if you read also Sterling Hayden, for instance, um, here's a guy he named names too, very similar type of thing to where it was like this broker thing, and he agreed to do it, and then you know, mentally, I mean, he may have already had mental illness, but he had a complete breakdown, and you know, and and that probably also because of a lot of alcohol, possibly, and other substances, but he. Th- uh you know went the rest of his life uh regretting it and being public about his regret so you know it's what it's the choices you make even afterwards i guess people can make egregious errors but it's how you decide to pay back you know and maybe try to repair is is also you know important
3: yeah yeah i mean i loved his autobiography i mean i I, I, like to say it's just it's just uh it's such a good read and it's so like you say it's completely it's got this unapologetic you know like it's like pugilistic kind of tone all throughout and that was one of the things that made us want to do this also Mm. into the idea that like um we wanted to like capture that that voice uh in the film and and it's still like i i don't know if you had a chance to see the film but basically there's my favorite film um our short film yeah well yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah of course okay okay yeah. so you sent it <laughs> <clears throat> you sent okay. it to me I think <laughs> okay um but yeah th- like my I think still my favorite moment is when Turturro comes in as the voice of Kazan right. very first line you know I was telling my story and telling my critics to go and fuck themselves you know And that was yes just, that was a- definitely
0: Ilya's voice
3: yeah yeah
0: so. oh right we should mention you got two of our finest actors uh one john troturo did do this podcast I uh, uh oh, cool. but um and then yeah well that's i'll tell you some other time but um it was great uh and then um and edward um um
3: norton oh, oh sorry edward norton yeah, I
0: was just having a yeah. moment. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Edward Norton provides the voice of Carl Foreman. Right. H- how did that you manage that? I mean, you know, the content, probably the idea, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it actually helped that pretty early on. We we had interest from um, TCM uh, Turner Classic oh, right. Movies, mm-hmm. and they they kind of they they said we're going to license this from you guys. You know, we'll put it on TCM. So we got them kind of on board early just based on a rough cut where like I was doing Kazan's voice and uh, a friend of mine was doing Foreman's voice. And it quickly, they, one of the big ways that they contributed to this was, you know, being TCM, they have their spreadsheet of like every known celebrity and which movies they, they love the most. Cause I guess they bring, you know, get them on periodically. Right. For yes. So, so <clears throat> we found out from that, that, you know, Turturro is a big on the waterfront fan. And what I hadn't known at the time, which he told us, you know, in the, in the, anti-room to the voiceover booth he was saying you know when he was 11 years old he he um watched he saw on the waterfront on tv and he made an audio cassette it was like before vhs he made an audio cassette of the whole film and just basically memorized like the whole film and i think when he started auditioning later in his teens that uh he would just use you know brando's monologues from from uh, on the waterfront so
0: fantastic
3: yeah so he had a great connection to it and he was awesome to work with so he was We got him first and then it was like okay what's you know what's a good sort of vocal you know kind of contrast to his kind of gravelly you know fuck you kind of kazan voice and we New and, york yeah yeah and we got um we you know we'd heard obviously we knew we'd seen edward norton's work and including voiceover work that he did for like Wes Anderson films. And, and, uh, and it's a very different voice. It's like got that sort of clarity, you know, it's like, like, yes. you know, purity. So we just thought, okay, let, you know, and, you know, I'm not saying it was easy to get these guys. Yeah. But yeah, they did. They, we were able to send, send their agents, you know, rough cuts of the film and, you know, beg and plead and, you know. <laughs> right. That's fantastic. Promise car services and things like that.
0: So it was on TCM.
3: Yes. So TCM broadcast it. They they broadcast it uh, in front of uh right in front of high noon and then the same night in front of on the waterfront, which was, was great. So so they That's did fantastic. that. And then um and now it's on uh HBO Max, which is now the same company, you know, they're all being like merged and swallowed up oh. but uh, so HBO Max. Now has it um playing alongside on the waterfront as like an extra you know oh you
0: know, yeah, that's great to know, yeah. okay, I didn't know that, and um well, I noticed that um as a sidebar that the you know the sight and sound top film is this um uh, right this um French uh film now made by uh i'm gonna and here i'm gonna probably forget again um
3: do you do you, you. chloe Ackerman,
0: thank you, Chantal yeah, ackerman. I,
3: chantal yeah <laughs> there you go right. I was, to... but but
0: but yeah. yeah but thank you we together we did together and it's uh you know i've not seen this three hour 20 minute movie but it, i they, i i looked up where we can see it i could see it of course on the criterion channel but also on hbo max and i thought wow what's going on over there yeah. they have a yeah. they're obviously amassing a library
3: yeah, that's funny when it got named. When the, it's Jean, Jean Dielman, is the name of the film, I guess. It's three and a half and hours. And then the long. address, the address of the character. Oh, right, the address, yes. So my wife and I were like thinking, oh, let's watch a film tonight. We're like, oh, let's watch uh, that film that just got named, you know, number one. It's like, oh, it's three and a half hours. I'm not I know. Sure. That's sure. Exactly... So we went over, we moved over to, which I had never seen, Cleo um, from five to seven. Oh, yeah. Which the... I had never seen. And I thought that was really, I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, I know. It's, um... Yeah, if you're in the mood for that kind of French film, you're just gonna you're to eat this stuff up. It's, it's uh, you do, but you have to be in the right mood for it. Yeah, and boy are the all the forces against that these days. Yeah, because so much of what we're getting is shot so quickly and edited so quickly, or you know, or is just in in of itself really short. You know, whether it's a a video of some kind, but so, so now to mentally prepare yourself for a three hour plus, which is intentionally really just these long slow takes you know one after another so you have to really be in the, the exact same thing happened i i wrote my girlfriend i said hello let's watch this tonight and then i saw the the running time i was like
3: eh. <laughs> i'm gonna you watch." hot
0: thanksgiving weekend might have been the t-
3: right <laughs> but uh
0: yeah i will have to see it because i mean my god it was such a an outlier all of a sudden that that came up after all these years of uh the same the usual suspects right
3: citizen kane same
0: know? list as always you know
3: right right it's
0: time for things to change it's good you know yeah um so the film does <clears throat> you're you're short though and now people know how to see it which is great but it's also so see in companionship with high noon and you know we you and i also shared the opportunity in to have uh uh also have had this book in there right also as a reference point for you too
3: absolutely yeah that was
0: i recommend for anybody glenn frankel who did this podcast a couple of times actually
3: yeah yeah he was super helpful my partner david spoke with him a few times and um and uh yeah the book you know along with kazan's memoir that book was kind of they were the the texts that we kept returning to yeah i mean we did a kind of collage writing for this we we wanted to be super spare and just pulling like a sentence or two from various sources because foreman doesn't have as you know uh, like a memoir he um but there there's glenn's book but there's also um you know various uh lectures of his that have been recorded oh. or other writings and we just sort of pulled pulled stuff and constructed um the narrative uh from that so yeah
0: i felt that um he should have been brought out during the Oscars and by, you know, two you know, luminaries. I mean, I, I'm disappointed by Scorsese and De Niro for, you know, I don't know. It's almost like they dug their heels. Like, Oh, well, but I do understand they, their position is that it's the, the work. Um, and so, you know, I do have to consider that. I mean, do, what do you think about that is the work should the work speak just on its own and not be somehow um affected or for lack of another word, by the deeds or misdeeds of the creator
3: I think where I come down on it is like why does it have to be either, or like like can't we hold both of those things in our mind at once? Here's somebody who made like incredible uh work, really film, true, you know, the films that he made and I changed
0: that... changed theater changed cinema
3: yeah right i I mean his films
0: changed cinema from like you know the old theatrical kind of way of doing things to modern cinema the way people really behave and
3: absolutely maybe
0: not only him but certainly had the greatest effect in in that way and
3: what's extraordinary is he was kind of like learning on the job in hollywood apparently if you read his you know memoir it was like he I mean, he, he came from the theater, obviously, that was his first approach, yep. but he knew that cinema had to have a different language. And I think he got some kind of like rescue job, like a director for hire thing. And he said, I'm just going to use this <clears throat> to kind of like teach myself and listen to the DPs and listen to the lighting guys and figure out what what is this other language and this other way to um, tell a story. So that by the time he was doing his, you know, passion projects, like uh, like on the waterfront, for example, like he he kind of had figured that out amazingly. So um, but yeah, I liked I really liked what um you know what Lee Grant said about that. She was so enthusiastic about him and his talent, and and why, and that's why she felt she had to kind of she couldn't just cancel him, you know. She that one movie she latched onto, A uh, Face in the Crowd, the Andy Griffith. Right. One, she yes. was like, That movie, you have to see it. So now I haven't seen that yet, which was so
0: made know. before he named names. Yeah, on the waterfront was after. Okay. Um, but yes, it's a good point, and she tied it together br- beautifully, being able to draw a parallel between, you know, that character um, and Donald Trump, for
3: instance. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or any of these MAGA type of. Uh... Yeah. Exactly. They're falling like dominoes. Thankfully, but. Yeah.
3: Uh... yeah hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> they. We yeah. thought they'd fallen earlier too. But, yeah. True. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Um. Well. I, I don't know, do you um, have a, a project that you can, coming up or do you know, are you ruminating about something or?
3: No, we actually have uh, two feature docs that were kind of in different you know, uh, time, time scales. Yeah, um, one is we're kind of full tilt on, a, we're doing a, a documentary about Meredith Monk, who's like this pioneering um, composer, choreographer. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with her work at all. She's sort of in some ways, the most influential you know composer you've never heard of um right and uh i mean a lot of smart people ask you know you know who she is say is she related to Thelonious which she's not um but she's uh oh, right right and you know, right, right. she's really extraordinary and not just a composer, she's just like one of these people who has uh kind of a command of multiple disciplines um she's a filmmaker, she's a choreographer, she's a singer she's a composer and um She's been working since the, since the '60s. You know, she's part of that downtown scene with happenings and you know uh, and all that stuff. And um, and she's still at it. So so we just um, wow. I've known her for like th- 30 years. My wife actually sings with her. So so uh, it was kind of a natural, you know, access and and um and so we're in the middle of that. Very excited about that. Yeah. Um and uh, and then we have another completely different project that's kind of happening in much slower motion which is um uh bill burns who's the um director of the cia uh Mm -hmm. was um sort of and still is a legendary diplomat you know he's 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 um somebody who for example you know knows putin better than anyone he was an ambassador to russia he's the guy they sent to talk to putin to try to talk to him about you know before the invasion he i think he's kind of the one who masterminded this brilliant plan of like letting people know what Putin is going to do. And then Putin did it, you know, that kind of mm-hmm, combating mm-hmm. the Russian propaganda machine with actual information doled out quickly. Um So anyway, he's a kind of fascinating guy. And we kind of got, we, we agreed with him to do a documentary when he had come out with his book. He wrote a book on diplomacy I see. And about the dangers oh, of... Well- yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to
0: say, maybe I've seen him on um, uh, promoting it. I'm not sure.
3: Yeah, it's called The Back Channel. This but does sort, sound familiar. It, it's sort of a memoir of his life in diplomacy, but it's also like a plea for, you know, over the last 10, 20, 30 years, uh, the, we've underfunded and diplomacy has sort of taken a back seat to, yep. to you know, just deciding to use the military. We, and the worst case of that being, you know, the second. Iraq war um mm-hmm. George W. Bush and you know Bill Right. Bill, and forget
0: Bill. during the last six you know, bunch of years before yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was completely um um just decimated essentially, right? The whole there was nobody.
3: Yeah, oh yeah, under no. under, under Trump. Under, oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Completely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. But then you well, had those brave... like...
3: Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. ahead. now I was gonna say you had those very brave diplomats who who stood up at one of the impeachment hearings like uh maria yovanovich i think her name name was you know but you know being great examples of you know really people who aren't partisan they're people who are part of this foreign service and they they want to just represent the interests of the country and they were kind of just outraged by what trump had had done and in those calls um and um anyway yeah so those are the people bills singing the praises of so
0: well um i'm sure over the course of the next couple of years or so of course the documentaries can go on for a really long time and i know that things sometimes happen that like speed bumps that slow things down that you can't predict but let's say assuming in the next couple of a year or two that these come out we'd love to bring it back on and we'll just do it again
3: i'd love that it's great
0: me too yeah, yeah. thanks and,
3: thanks for having me i really appreciate it
0: oh no thank you and and um um you do you have like um in lieu of i know it's a relatively short film but i do you have like a clip or a trailer or something for it i mean it's i know it's
3: um yeah we can talk about that um yeah it's something
0: to represent it like it would be nice to put it on at the beginning to kind of show people you know it'll be it's so they 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 can see kind of what you're trying to do or what you have done
3: the tricky thing, we, we can mm-hmm. talk about this um, off the record, the tricky thing is that, um, you, as you know, you rely a lot on fair use and and uh, that's true for these kind of things. And one area where you can't mess with that is in um, promotional, promotional uses. Uh, so it's tricky to use it promotionally. It's easier to use it in the film but to use it got it um, understood to, it's not can,
0: essential at all and the conversation can speak for itself i'm happy i can even show a little clips so i could put together a little something with a little few moments of on the waterfront and high noon and just because yeah. i can get away with that <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. yeah that's a thing like, actually, a few seconds long you know
3: i, I think I mean, there are trailers
0: you, out there so uh that's you know obviously you you can anybody can use it to, if they're it's, yeah. it's designed for that
3: yeah i think if you do it then it's fine you know it's it's on you if you feel like to exactly. it. And if, or if you can get away with it you know as your own fair use case or whatever because it's part of your your podcast and then, then fine and
0: it's right we're referring to it it's it's not yeah, just the arbitrary on it. right right great all right well billy thank you and uh let you get on with your monday e- oh, uh what am i saying wednesday evening
3: all right thanks adam i really appreciate it
0: until next time okay thank okay. you bye. all right bye. take care bye our
2: wedding day, do not forsake me, oh my darling, wait, wait long, the noonday train will break, break Miller. if I'm a man I must be brave. And I must face that deadly killer. A liar, coward, a craven coward. A liar, coward in my grave. Oh, to be on quicks love and
0: duty. Suppose I lose my fair half beauty. Look at that big hand move. All right, thanks everybody. Oh, yeah. Be back soon. We'll be back after the holidays with a brand new episode of Film Wax Radio. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourself and the ones you love.